All right. I am Shelly. This is Anamik. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and we're probably just going to talk about a, ver a variety of topics that we feel like talking about. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So. so where should we kick off? Like, I just sent you a whole list of ideas. Yeah, and yeah. Whatever you want to. I think the one that I was the most um, engaged with, or I was like, oh, we might actually disagree on this, was the travel one. So I think you should. Oh, yeah. The upsides and downsides. Of yeah, travel. yeah. Yeah. I was, well, I was intrigued. Well, yeah, it's it, because it's pretty new. Like, yeah, right. I mean, if up until what a couple hundred years ago if you wanted to travel far it was lots of time and money and now suddenly mm -hmm. we're having to deal with it the ability to cheaply and quickly travel pretty much wherever and i don't know if we fully understand the implications of it yet that's true so. um yeah well you know like i i did some missions history study before um joining this operation doing my job and uh you know those people would have their coffins built and send them over on the boat with them you know because it was like well we're crossing the ocean that's going to take a month or two and then we're not coming back and i mean obviously i think it's um a big step forward how i can be home in a, and I'm in kind of one of the more, I feel like extreme situations. Like I still legitimately need like a 36 hour turnaround to get back mm -hmm. to America. And I feel like most people, uh, you know, don't have to say that necessarily, you know, most of that 36 hours for me is like land travel to get to the airport. So yeah. Um, actually that's such a, salient topic for me even right now like i have my i have a a relative that is um dying and thinking about going home for the funeral i always told myself i would but now i'm like oh my gosh i have to be in the car for that long and i have to be in the plane for that long and i end up just calling home being like i'll have to you know go to a memorial service that you're holding later or something because and people before didn't have to make that choice it was just like already made for them you know, there was no, there's no question. That's, that's definitely true. But what do you see as some of the downsides? Cause I, well, for me personally, just that little situation I just told you for me, like there's a little bit of that, but it's mostly upsides. So. Well, see the thing about travel is that for better or worse, you're totally encountering things which are, which are new to you. Um, and pe other people will be encountering you, you know? So there's, um, there's kind of an aspect where you're taken out of your own community and you'll encounter various other ones, depending on how you travel. You know, if you're just going on like a tour through Europe or whatever, you're not really going to understand how those people live. Right. You're just going to get the, the, the tourist view. So there's yeah. like tourism traveling, but then actually moving to another country it's a totally other aspect too. Because for yeah. example, I don't understand the culture my mom grew up in. I've never been, never lived in Europe. My mom in the same way, she sometimes struggles with certain aspects of Canadian culture. You know, so there's also the, the immigration, which mm -hmm. is another issue. But in all these respects, it's not just, it's not just you who are being changed yeah. by travel. It's also your community. And there are great upsides to that, you know, getting to learn about the world, what it's like, encountering new ideas. But then also you're gonna kind of get knocked off of your foundations if you're not careful about it. So. Uh, yeah. Oh, you're so wise in a week. Um, that's true. I think for most Americans, however, I guess, because I've traveled a good bit now mm -hmm. and I've lived in a couple different places. And I, I guess from where I'm sitting, I wish more Americans would travel. I, I read this kind of ridiculous piece in, um, I don't remember if it's the Gospel Coalition or Desiring God. I, I, I read some, both of some of those articles sometimes. 
And sometimes I'm just, (laughs) well, no. And I mean, I like 90% of what I read there if I click on the article. But this one, I was like, who wrote this? I was like, this was some (laughs) 20-something-year-old kid who was like writing reactionary piece against his hipster friends who went to Europe and posted a bunch of pictures on social media media because he was he was I mean maybe like I don't know that I'm just saying that it was about how you know how much travel is too much travel travel can be an idol which I'm not actually uh saying it can't I'm just saying um well this sounds bad I don't know I'm all I almost think like on the spectrum of idols like (laughs) well I guess because to me like to love like the better you know something or someone the better you can love it and the more you travel, the better you know humanity, mm-hmm. and the better you can love it. Which is yeah. kind of like this maybe stretchy, like out for people. You know, people can spend too much travel, you know, money on travel, absolutely. Mm-hmm. But um, I just think in the in the grand scheme of things, I totally wish uh, more people would would leave where they are and be curious about other, how other people live because mm-hmm. I guess, yeah, from a Christian perspective, um, the more you're outside your box, the more you can at least try to understand or have more patience with people who are uh, outside your box. Yeah. So, but that's interesting what you say about your mom. Um, even my, like I, I, my relative, my, it's my grandmother who, who's, who's, kind of dying right now and mm-hmm. she's Canadian uh has lived in Oklahoma for ah like 30 40 years and she told her kids uh I don't want to I don't want a service in America give do a service for me in Canada and I was like wow you know she's lived here 34 years she's uh raised her kids here raised her you know seen her grandkids grow up here great grandkids and uh, here being in Oklahoma. <laughs> um, and she still wants her service in Canada. It, I don't know, I, that really was striking to me. Mm-hmm. So kind of going back to your, your, like your mom, there's still things after X amount of years of living in Canada that she doesn't well, she's connect lived with. most of her life here now. Yeah, yeah. It's, and it's still, yeah. Well, but. I mean, I guess if I, if I apply it to my life personally, you know, if I spent the rest of my life here, I think I would still most deeply connect with America. Uh, but I don't know. Yeah. Living in different cultures is, is different. It's kind of, I mean, we had that whole conversation on general kind of along these same lines as far, just in the, in the train of raising children, but it definitely, yeah, you're right. It changes you and it changes your community. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Well, and um, kind of on a side topic, I was I, an idea just popped in my head. Um, I find it really interesting. These Amish communities, they'll often have their their nineteen year olds or whatever go off for right. a year or a bit, and it's it's interesting. But that's more allowing the kids to decide for themselves if they want to stay. But yeah. a lot of them return. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. it's kind of like an exploratory time. And I too had that last year. I was I was still living in Canada. I was only living a couple hours away from where my home is. But to be away from the community you grew up in gives you a different perspective entirely. Yeah. Um, but I think international travel only amplifies that for better or for worse. You're right. Well, and what you said earlier, I think when you're in your opening statement, if you will, about um, like if your foundations can become unmoored, mm-hmm. un- unmoored, sorry. Um, and maybe it's because I, I actually didn't live overseas by myself until I was 20. I, I was like 24, 25. So I wasn't 18 or 19. I think that, w- that mean, I think that's a huge difference for one thing, but um it, it can, can maybe like unmoor your foundations and then cause you to rebuild them and understand yeah. them better. And, you know, they come back stronger or you change them. I mean, that happens too. Mm-hmm. But yeah. um, when you realize, oh, like not everyone around me, you know, believes this or does this and, and I don't understand why. And then you kind of dig deeper and, and figure it out. Um, I, 
I haven't, yeah, I don't know. I feel like my openness grew as a trait. I don't know if they actually can grow, but I feel like I became more open after yeah. living overseas um, for sure. And it also was reminding me when you first sent the list of topics, um, when Jordan Peterson used to like post new things on his podcast, like sometime earlier in the year, last year, I don't even know. Mm -hmm. he, he interviewed a guy uh, I wish I had looked it up before we talked so I could be more eloquent about it. But he interviewed a guy who was trying to set up this program in America that's maybe kind of similar to like Job Corps or something like that, where um, American kids can do like serve, I think overseas. Like his, mm -hmm. his, his big thing was get kids to serve and do more like gap year type programs mm -hmm. because I mean, as it stands right now, I think gap year is something that like a lot of, it's something that like economically, I won't say privileged, but I mean, not everybody can take, take a gap year and like yeah. not every university is on board with that whole, yeah, you can have the scholarship after your gap year. You know, a lot of those scholarships, I think still kick in right after high school. So if you want a scholarship, you don't take a gap year and, and gap years can be really good too. Can you hear me? Anamique? Yeah, your your audio was a little shaky and then it kind of came back. So oh, I can okay. hear you. I, okay. I caught that all. It just stretched out. It was kind of oh, funny. sorry. You know, the waiver. Yes, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. But you you kind of did a gap year, right? Or you did a, like a program? Well, it was it was a structured, like it was a school program. Okay. So because I think a lot of people just use the gap year as an excuse to, well, I wouldn't call it hedonism, but certainly <laughs> idyllic, Yeah. you know? Um, so I think with all of these, these opportunities for travel and for gap years and for, you know, pushing your boundaries, it, there has to be a certain structure imposed on it. You can't just go wild and, cut away everything and you know well yeah I don't know um but I'm kind of interested what your perspective on it is you know coming to a totally different culture than what you grew up in like do you find that it's still very difficult for you to understand the culture around you and like yeah um well yes <laughs> but but um, not as difficult as time goes on. It it is less difficult. But uh, yeah, it's kind of a it's kind of a joke. Like I'm not in culture shock anymore. I'm just in culture stress. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, because I'm always learning. Like I will never I will never understand everything. And it's kind of one of these funny um, things where like the more language I understand, like the more I like can hear the conversations around me uh the more i don't understand you know like why did he just say yeah. that when she handed him that like what you know now i understand the words and i'm like wait what the context that doesn't make sense in this context you know so it's just uh kind of the more you know the more you realize you don't know type situation yeah. <laughs> um yeah and well yeah yeah and i find it interesting too the uh the general generational generational impact of of it too because you know in a certain way even I who was born and raised in Canada am not quite I'm not quite the same as someone else who didn't grow up in an immigrant family and community you know mm -hmm. so for example I've got a weird name there are certain idioms that we use you know certain mm -hmm. words and so it's kind of this strange in between that we find ourselves in. And so I suppose in a way that's why certain ethnic communities form overseas, why you get certain, you know, I call, I call this region the Dutch ghetto. Because <laughs> it's basically yeah. a bunch of cow farmers who all live together. <laughs> right. You know, but you know, you find that pretty universally too, you know, you get the Chinatowns, you get the, mm -hmm. the, the Jewish ghettos, you get, you know, it's people of a similar cultural background still need that, 
that that sense of home yeah even when they're not where they used to be Mm -hmm. and so I guess this whole discussion really um, revolves around the concept of um, the outside and the inside you know the home and outside of the home which mm-hmm. kind of makes me think of The Hobbit, you know? I love yeah. The Hobbit. Yeah, <laughs> You know, he has to go on an adventure, but then he finds that it makes home all the more dear to him. Yeah, well, it's funny that you say that because if I had to guess, you know, we, we, we had that conversation on general about third culture kids. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. Because, uh, like, so, yeah, if 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 I had kids here, it's a totally different, like they are legitimately living a different childhood than I ever lived. Mm-hmm. So I actually am not even going to totally be able to understand it when they go back to America and visits their aunts and uncles and grandparents, they definitely won't understand it. Um, really their, their like home community will be other third culture kids yeah, and, yeah. and other like in, in our expat, expatriate community that meets together, you know, multiple times a year will be their cousins and aunts and uncles in their heart is, is, is what I've observed from, from other third culture kids. And, yeah. um, and it, it is, it is very hard. I mean, you mentioned this, like the, the missionary kids that, you know, now they you use the word unmoored and mm-hmm. yeah, that definitely happens if they come home like for university or for whatever reason. And it's almost more difficult than living in another place where you look different because you look the same, mm-hmm. but, you, but you're not the same. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. So, and maybe they don't even have a strange name like you have that like gives a signal of like, oh, maybe this person has a bit of a different culture heritage than I do. Like they might not, you know, mm-hmm. they might not even have that. So um, yeah, there are a lot of things involved for sure. For sure. Yeah. I, I've spent a lot of time with uh, TCKs now, I, third culture kids now. And mm-hmm. I remember, I remember being in America and someone made a joke. And someone sang the that circus song, and we were all laughing. And I look at my friend, and she said, "And I was like, oh yeah, that just means like it's the circus, you know." She's like, "Oh okay, you know." And there's the there's a million things that we don't even. Someone made a life is like a box of chocolates reference, and she said. You know, there's just so many things that we don't even, if, if I was sitting next to a Chinese foreign exchange student, I would be sure and be like, oh, that's an American movie, da, 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 da. But, you know, this girl has lived in America since university years, but she didn't live in America before that. So, yeah. Well, and a, I, I feel like you almost need to be fully immersed in a culture in order to begin to pick up the nuances and the, you know, the little idioms and the jokes and such. So I guess... The problem with third culture kids is that they're they're only picking up the base culture of both where their parents are and where they are. And so they're not actually getting any of that rich or they're getting less of the rich nuance and all of the, you know, the jokes and the yeah. mm-hmm. all those little things that might escape first glance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I definitely feel like with technology, this could be, this is more, this could be more remedied. Like, I have some colleagues here, their kids go to school online every day. Mm-hmm. The internet supports it. Um, and they have a tight community back in America where they know where they're going to go every time. Their cousin, like, it's an extended family situation, but not everyone has that for sure. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's not an easy thing for sure. But then as I've pondered this, not, it's not a problem issue over the years too, like watching these third culture kids, like go back to America or wherever their home culture is and thrive after Rocky transitions, like no, you know, no, no arguing. That's it's, it's a hard transition, but um, you know, if you talk to them, they can't really imagine their life any differently. And they would often say they feel not feel bad like in a condescending way, but they realize how much wider and multifaceted their view of the world is. Um, They also realize the challenges, but you know, they've got kind of an an inborn expanded horizon from the get go. Yeah. Yeah. 
and there's certainly something to be said for that that advantage that you you understand more of the the breadth of the world around you and just how different human experience and knowledge and culture is so i guess everything in moderation yeah yes yes i would yeah, I don't know how I would, I mean, I don't have kids, I, but like how you would raise kids in a, in a situation like that would be very difficult. You know, I've got relatives who are third culture kids and I can understand why they have so much difficulty adjusting because it's, it's not like you really belong anywhere. You kind of belong everywhere, mm-hmm. you know? Yep. Yep. It's, that's true. Well, and, well, and, and like I mentioned for, for a child, you know, ages one through 18 or whatever, your, it's your parents job to make sure you belong with them in the home, like creating that strong home culture. You're going to have your own family culture and, you know, hopefully it's a, it's a, (laughs) hopefully it's a sustaining, nourishing, stable one. Um, And that's, I mean, I've seen some, yeah, I've just seen some great parenting here and some very thoughtful, deliberate. Um, yeah, I know a, a set of parents, everywhere they go, they bring this um, like wooden spoon and wooden fork yeah. that, that you hang on the wall. They're just like decorations, but they were like, yeah. these are our, this means we're home. Like wherever we are, Europe, America, Africa, we hang these on the wall and that helps our, this is, this is our, it's kind of like our decoration, like it's light, it's easy to travel with, and it just helps like maintain a stability. Mm-hmm. And um, just, yeah, doing those, finding the quirks that make, that, you know, helps your family maintain that stability. Mm-hmm. People get creative. Yeah. Well, and it's not even like you're always at home, even in the, in the culture you grew up in, you know? Right, yeah some some people have a lot more difficulty trying to fit in than others do sorry if you hear myself they're just in the other room but like it's it's not like you're always going to fit in with the culture that you were raised in and that in a sense is your natural culture because you know temperamental differences Mm -hmm. and you know so there's something to be said for that too, that some people just need to find somewhere, somewhere else to go. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, temperamentally, I am a very like get along with my culture thing. Had I never left the States, I have no idea how I would be now, but there are people who have never left the States who um, don't, as you just said, you know, buck the system in which they live and, and they've, and they've never, they don't, they don't have the overseas living thing to pin that on, you know, part of that is, part of that is, you're right, is temperament. And I do think, I I do think an advantage of someone who has grown up away from their home culture, or I guess their parents' home culture is uh, when they are back in their parents' home culture, you know, probably going to university, they, fitting in is, is, is usually, I mean, generally not as high a priority for them. Yeah. Because yeah. as I mentioned, they never fit in in their, in their, the culture they were in for ages one through 18, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> or maybe they were to a point, but not completely. So, well, yeah, that's what I found too. Like I, I had a lot of difficulty fitting in as a kid, but now that I'm older, I find that I can be more honest about what I think, what I feel, what I like, you know, and that actually helps to develop better friendships and, mm-hmm. You know, I, I don't, I don't BS about what I, what I care about when I don't, you know, so there's certainly a benefit to that, but there's also the downside that you always feel like you're kind of alone. So there has to be, you know, balance yeah. again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. I would definitely agree with that too, because I do know returning TCKs who they got, yeah, they have the bucking the system thing down. They actually need to work on the, um, yeah, smoothing out their corners so that they yeah. can have some good friends. Because, I mean, I just try to, I try to, like, try to tell them, I mean, because as an American who grew up in America, having not left America, 
Like mm-hmm. they can't help it. Just like give them time, give them patience, give yeah. them grace. Like they can't help that they don't know anything about what you're talking about. They haven't seen it. They don't know, you know? So um, it's kind of both ends of the spectrum. Yeah. 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 Well, and they, I guess people like me or like TCKs who are used to going it alone, they need to get out of that bone cowboy mentality. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Yeah. Cause yeah. That, that, that certainly occurs that they're just so, so used to being special. Mm-hmm. That's the only thing that they can do. So, yeah, that's, you know, it's like the the notorious, not like other girls syndrome, but worse. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, because they actually have a little bit of a reason to believe that (laughs) a little reason to believe that, (laughs) but that's true. That's true. Yeah. Because from the outside or well, whatever, if I were, let's say an 18 year old having met one of these TCKs who, you know, is, Actually, yeah, oftentimes they come off as super arrogant, but that's, I know them and that's not what they want to come off as, but that's how it comes off to me as. Oh, your camera went away. Uh, Yeah, yeah, I was adjusting. Oh, okay. Uh, And then my video conked out because my camera was adjusting or something. (laughs) Silly computer. Come on. Ah! Oh, (laughs) Oh, come on. Frozen. (laughs) Oh, we're just going to look. Ah, there, there we go. There we go. And, oh, oh, not again. Kidding. Oh, ha. Hello. Greetings. Oh. I have, yeah, returned from the abyss. Do you want to switch over to language learning? Sure. That's a, I, I love language, so that's <laughs> a topic I like. So because yeah. your, what, uh, like, what's your, is your, mother tongue english or right yes but yeah i grew up english with dutch influence okay so there are certain words phrases you know and i have a kind of a basic understanding of dutch okay so well and then there's frisian too there are three languages that circle in this crazy house but uh, let's not get into that one (laughs) no i i hear ya. yeah but then i'm i'm not fluent in it by any means but then you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a classic student, so I'm learning Latin. Next year, I'm starting on Greek. You know, I want to learn German. So there's this, it, you have to think a lot about language itself. And so, you know, the philosophy of language intrigues me as someone who's got a bit of skin in the game, you know. Mm-hmm. And you're, you're the same way in that, you know, you yeah. have to work with other languages. Yeah, yeah. I now want to recruit you to be a Bible translator. Uh-huh. I, have, I, have an, I have an agenda. People have tried already. I have an agenda and it is not hidden. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I think, so is your dad, is your dad Dutch as well or? Yeah, although he, he was born in Canada, but okay. his, parents, his parents were both Dutch too. They immigrated here when they were very young children. So do your parents speak to each other? In what language? My parents speak to each other in English. <laughs> that, was a, that was a weird qu- question. I just asked if your sp- parents spoke to each other. I meant to end it with Dutch or English, yeah. but then I just... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, it was understood. <laughs> yeah, no, my parents speak to each other in English. I've got grandparents who live with us, and that's where it gets a little messy. Okay. <laughs> because my, my grandparents live with us right now, are my maternal grandparents, and my... Okay, Beppa and Paca is the Frisian words for grandma and grandpa. They're my Frisian grandparents. So my Beppa's first language is Frisian. And she kind of falls back on that. But she she lived in Canada for for a few years in her childhood before moving back to the Netherlands. It's okay. it's complicated, but <laughs> long story short, my mom speaks to my grandmother in Dutch and Frisian and English. And my grandfather speaks in either Dutch or English, and my parents speak in English, and us kids speak English. Okay. So, yeah. It's getting laggy. So, it's, yeah, it's this weird commerce of language. Um, <sighs> oh, bother. 
I mean, I don't know. It might be my internet too. That's definitely a possibility. No, it's it's probably mine. The country internet is not the greatest, and um, it's raining. Which oh, nice. okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, yeah. I let's see. Well, I mean, I grew up in an all English household. Uh, decided I liked languages in in high school with Spanish. You know, mm-hmm. studied Spanish. Some in university as well. Took a couple trips to Spanish-speaking countries. And then um, when I got involved with a Bible translation organization and decided to go to French-speaking Africa, you know, and then studying French and then studying my West Afri- the, the West African language I'm a part of. So my, my language learning experiences were all, like, all three so different because the Spanish was mostly classroom with like three or four weeks of real life thrown in, like real um, speaking and listening thrown in. I mean, I had a great teacher, so she did a great job. France was living in classroom concurrently for like a uh, 10-month block that was yeah like very good, so good. And then this language learning is like, no classroom material at all, no structure at all um, was, I'm, I'm kind of passing, I mean, I'm, I'll always be in language learning phase, but the language learning phase of my experience is done um, as far as, you know, dedicating my, my time entirely to that. So mm-hmm. in, in preparation, like in training to come here, they, you take a class called language acquisition where they teach you how to, how to structure your own program kind of and how to do um, how to elicit data, how to get, you know, how, kind of in what order, kind of give you a, a guideline of, of how this can be done. Cause it's super overwhelming, super overwhelming. But, um, and thankfully I did it with my colleague who was a champ and I just kind of followed his lead and like, he's more, he's more, um, he's, he's the linguist, he's the translator. I'm, I'm, I'm the liaison. And so like, I'm actually pretty low as far as like analytical thinking I'm more a relational person. And so he would like, okay, I want to, I want to learn how to, you know, say these five things today. And then I usually was the one who could like, okay, you know, to my language helper, like, okay, say I'm walking down the street and I see this bird and it, and it, you know, it it lays an egg. What do I want to say then? Or, you know, finding like situational context to get the data I want out of my language helper. Because my language helper also, it's not like he does this on a regular basis. Like he's not used to um, teaching someone his language. So those concepts aren't, it wasn't, it wasn't at all like going to a French language school where they knew exactly what English speakers struggle with and what Chinese speakers struggle with and they can cater to your needs and all that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So. Well, and I feel like my like I'm learning Latin right now. That's totally opposite. You know, it's all written. It's yeah, type right, language. right. So <laughs> po- polar opposite. Yes, so, yes. Well, fascinating. I mean, I would say for me, like French was the like the perfect, I mean, the mix of both. You know, I would go to structured school and then after school I would hang out with French people and learn street French, you know? So it was yeah. kind of the best of both worlds. And I could go, I could go into the classroom the next morning and ask, Hey, I heard this yesterday and I didn't understand it. And my teacher could tell me, you know, so it was I feel like that was really the best of both worlds. I wish this language could be like that, but it's not. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my video is having issues again. <sighs> yeah, no, it's language is such a dynamic thing too. You know, yeah. so yes. Um, another course I'm taking, for example, is uh, an English literature course. That's entirely different English, depending on the, um, the, the year you're in. So, for example, Shakespeare's English is totally different from my English, which is miles away from Chaucer's English, and so on and so forth. So... Yes, that's so true. Well, and like even here, um, we border an English speaking country. So I'll get people that meet me and they're like, oh yeah, I speak English. And then 
they start talking and I'm like, uh, can we go back to French? Because I understand that better. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but for them, that's proper English. So it's, it's not, um, it's a little bit like, I don't know how you say that ethnocentric language, language style link. I don't know mm-hmm. of me to say you're not dialects. Yeah. You're not yeah. speaking proper English. That's not because unlike, you know, French and Spanish, we don't actually have a, an academy of, an academy that tells us what we can and can't say in the language. There's the dictionary, but that's about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, for sure. Um, but, you know, I don't know. I work with a lot of Jamaicans and Mexicans during the summer. The Jamaicans like to claim that they speak English, but it's so difficult to understand. So, it's different, you know, yeah. It's another dialect again. Why is my video not? working. This is stupid. Uh, oh, well, we'll hope it comes in later. Yeah, yeah, so I was I was kind of interested. I was thinking about the philosophy of language the other day. And I was thinking, um, I don't know, in the early 1900s, there were all these debates, what is language anyway? You know, like, is it, is it fixed? Or is it dynamic? And I think there has to be, again, some kind of a middle ground. Because if you say that it's fixed, well, as soon as a word changes meaning, you defeated that argument, you know, and we've got words like cute, which means a very different thing than what it meant 400 years ago. Or, or gay. Yeah, exactly. Or gay. I had a, I had a great aunt named that. Oh, my oh okay. Goodness. Yeah. That, that's unfortunate. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hey, Nora, could you stop playing the keyboard, please? Sorry, that's my no, sister. Okay. <laughs> yeah, well, and they, they talk about that in linguistics as like prescriptive linguistics or descriptive linguistics, as far as, you know, they're, they're two different things. Are you describing the way something should be or the way the language is? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and yeah, no, I think you're right. Like you need, I think order, and structure is needed, but a languages languages are are dynamic things by nature. Yeah, yeah. But again, if you totally disjoint it from any kind of a solid meaning, you get stuff like what was the name of that book? There was this story written which makes no sense. Oh, you're talking about Jabberwocky, are you? I mean, that's just the poem. Uh, okay. No, 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 no. There was this something's wake I think it was called where everything was there was punctuation in the middle of words and Mm -hmm. words were like missing or adding vowels and consonants and so you need to also have a fixed meaning for words or you get nonsense right yeah I don't know. I, I get the feeling Peugeot would have a heyday on this. Sure, sure. Yeah, I mean, we. I used to, I always kind of in my head, like, made fun of the Royal Academy of French or, or Royal Academy of Spanish or the Académie Française. But I think that's kind of their answer to the situation. Like, they don't, they're not saying their language can't change, but they get to decide which words, which changes come about. You know, yeah. they get to approve or disapprove. Um. So actually, it does make a lot of sense. Uh, and like, well, I feel like, I don't know, because they say the Queen's English. Um, and so that's kind of its own standard, I suppose. Yeah. But I'm not like familiar enough to know too much. I mean, to me, when I hear well, Queen's, I just think like proper, proper grammar, proper syntax Queen's English typically refers to RP doesn't it uh like received pronunciation the the British oh is it okay it's more British okay accent you know something it's more about pronunciation yeah okay I did not make that connection that's the case I don't know I had I have some British friends who tried to explain all these things to me and it's fascinating again because in Britain 
your accent kind of signals your class and geography here in Canada not like we don't really have as much of a class system in Canada you know so what signals your class in Canada is well there's very little language doesn't really do it you might find that certain people in the lower classes you know use more crude language occasionally but that's kind of a stereotype it's not really true in Canada we're also quite comfortable with crudity at times which defies the uh, stereotype of the polite Canadian I suppose um, but I don't know language yeah. is yeah. yeah. Well, and that's here. Here, I can't. I can't. But my Konyanke friends can. Um, they can narrow it down to a village. They can listen to someone speak and say he's from, you know, X Y Zville, and they'll be right. It's so interesting because, yeah, to my foreign ears, I mean, sometimes I'm like, man, he was hard to understand. I don't understand. And they say, oh yeah, that's because he's from here, and they, you know they're lazy with their O's or something, you know? Um, so it's definitely, yeah, I think all, all languages, it, yeah, it is so interesting. I was, there's this book I read, I think even before I like went and did any linguistics training called How Language Works. Uh, I think the author's David Wallace, but he talks about how like, especially in like Papua New Guinea, Papua New Guinea is kind of the case study for all of this because it's, such a small land area with so many languages on it. And people, you know, they, they hypothesize it's because like a tribe would grow up in a valley or something. And um, when they tried to travel, you know, into the jungle to, to visit other people, like they encountered other strains of mosquitoes that, you know, the malaria that they weren't used to and that would kill them. So it kept, it kept them isolated, um, mm -hmm. you know, by topography and illness and stuff. So that's why so many languages were, are, are there. And um, yeah, he talks about how, you know, how a language, what makes a language a language, what differentiates from a dialect. Um, yeah. Oh, it's all really very interesting. So oh, interesting. Yeah. And coming from the, the, the Dutch background too, you can definitely tell where someone is from, even though the Netherlands is such a tiny country. You know, mm -hmm. a Frisian accent sounds worlds apart from someone from South Holland or something, you know? Yeah, um, yeah. Which yeah. brings its own set of challenges, but it's, it's this fascinating identifier. Um, and you kind of wonder how that came about, but it makes, yeah, it makes sense that uh, those communities where you get the tight knit sort of large family in a mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. or a couple large families in a small village setting would do that yep get well regional dialects and accents well and i think it's interesting too um so yeah i grew up in oklahoma went to school in arkansas so i grew up with uh or i my roommates in college were southern girls and mm -hmm. even today, like when I talk to them or even my sister, my, my sister is married to a guy from Arkansas and I get on the phone with her and I can tell, like I can hear the twang. And then by the end of the phone call, I myself am doing the twang and it's oh, totally, I do that too. <laughs> it's totally unconscious. And I don't know if it's like a solidarity thing. Like I'm with you. I'm the same as you. And I'm going to talk like you. I'm, I'm not really sure what it is, but I totally do that. Yeah. Oh yeah, my accent changes too. <laughs> I worked at a, a greenhouse with a bunch of for a Dutch couple this spring, and I started getting the accent, <laughs> which was really yeah. awkward. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, uh, my grandmother, uh, we call her Amma. My Amma remembers being in Canada, and they had relatives come over from England and. Um, I think like maybe they were sending their daughter to school in Canada and before they left the daughter's parents said don't lose your accent and when my Emma told me that I was like I knew it because it I mean I guess I'm just I think I am just of the personality that I'll adopt what's around me like I would to I would totally pick up whatever accent I was living in 
if it was an English speaking country, I have no doubt. I mean, yeah. see, see previous conversation about Arkansas twang in like a 10 minute conversation. Like I just, I just do it. So I feel like it's gotta be a voluntary, like decision of the will to keep your accent after X amount of years in a, mm-hmm. um, in a place that also speaks English, but in a different way. Yeah. Yeah. I have an uncle who's from Australia and ah, hey, hi, the video finally came back. Cool. <laughs> I think the rain stopped. So that might have something to do with it. Yeah, no, I had an uncle who uh, was born and raised in Australia and he had to make a conscious effort to keep his accent. Um, yeah. I mean, it can be a cool accent. It's debatable. Sometimes Australian is difficult, but that's a different <laughs> tangent. <laughs> oh yeah. Maybe if, if we do um, put this up on, in, if I send this to Jeff, maybe I'll put in the notes. I, there's this, there's this video of this actor. I can't remember his name right now, but he does like four or five different Southern accents like in Arkansas, a Georgia. And, and it's so, it's so good because you're like, oh no, all Southern accents sound the same. And then he starts and you're like, oh no, that's true. Oh no, that's true. Oh, these are different. You know, he did, he just, he's so good at it. Yes. It's it's pretty fascinating. Yeah. Oh, speaking of, this is really fascinating. Um, There's this Island, I think it's off the coast of North Carolina um, where a bunch of pirates from the Elizabethan era would take refuge and then they set up a pirate community there and they had little to no contact with America or with England. And so as a result, the Elizabethan accent is preserved there. Oh my goodness. Wow. I've never heard of this. Yeah. It's wow. Absolutely fascinating. So. Yeah. And now they're probably at the point where, and this doesn't make it any more valid, but I imagine they're at the point where like, I mean, it's a very voluntary thing. They're like, I'm passing this on to my kids and my kids are going to do it. Um, well, I'd imagine they all speak with that accent on the Island. Okay. There's, so there's very really little it. contact still with America. Wow. So as a result, well, it's a very small Island. So sure, they might send sure. their kids to the, to the sh- to the shore or whatever, but I think it's like 30 miles. Okay. So yeah, wow. it's hysterical. Yeah, I, that's I really a clip of this. And, yeah. That's really interesting. But, yeah. I don't know. All of it is so funny. Like uh yeah. And to see how languages develop too in like Europe, for example, all the similarities you get, but also all the differences in the, the languages. You know, German and Dutch and the whole Germanic group. Then also the, like the, the Romance languages, like all those based on Latin. You can mm-hmm. see how they're the same, how they're different. And, mm-hmm. and English is this weird chimera. <laughs> mm-hmm. oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Dear me. Well, and I mean, I think what, what maybe isn't talked about as much is, yeah, like the, soci- the sociolinguistic aspect of it. Like here my language group is part of a large language tree and yeah, from the outside, there are so many shared similarities that, you know, a lot of outsiders be like, Oh, it's the same language, but don't you tell, you know, a Konyanke person that they're the same as a Gerse, like as a Manya person. Um, mm-hmm. it, it has to do with the, so like the social identity that your, your identity too. So like from a Bible translation perspective, like, yeah, I mean, if this person who is Manya isn't actually going to read this Konyanke Bible, then you actually have to do translation of this one too, even if the, yeah. e- even if they're, you know, uh, you know, 99% uh, reciprocal, yeah, reciprocal communication happening, like, um, and then also the whole, like, this, the status, like, there are languages of higher status, and so, yeah. like, Ours is on the lower end, so I can speak to a Maninka person, and I understand them, but when I respond, they kind of, I mean, it takes them a minute, you know? Like, oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, um, mm-hmm. yeah. And there's the whole in-group, out-group thing. And... Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. I don't know if this is still true. I remember learning that um, St. Joseph, Missouri is the 
American, like most central accent or like lack of accent is St. Joseph, Missouri. So, um, you know, for, for like news anchors and things like that, they try to find people or they try to get you to change your accent. If you have an accent to be kind of bland across the board that like will be accessible from for everyone. So for, you know, like major news stations. So something right in the middle of the spectrum. Mm -hmm. Well, it kind of reminds me of the, the transatlantic accent. You know, that was a fabricated accent so that people from Britain and, and America could understand. Oh, I haven't, no, I hadn't heard this. Well, you know how in the, in the films from the, like up till the 60s or so, they've all got this certain accent. Yeah. It doesn't really, it doesn't really sound American or British. It just is. Uh-huh. It was a oh, fabricated okay. accent. And so they were taught to speak this way. So that their films would, would appeal to both audiences? So that it would be readily understandable by everybody. Yeah. So that's interesting. Learning to speak in another accent would be very difficult. <laughs> I can't imagine not speaking in a Canadian accent for better or worse. Yeah, I don't know if part of that's like temperament because I'm kind of like a for better or worse, like this can be a good thing or a bad thing. I generally like watch everyone around me and do what they do. And, and part of that's just from living overseas and like having to do it. And then yeah. part of it, <clears throat> part of it is just, I'm a two on the Enneagram. Like I'm very, I don't like conflict. I will, you know, mm-hmm. do what I need to do to maintain the, the peace type. Um, so I think I would definitely pick up a Canadian accent if I were there for any amount of time. It's, it's not that different from American. Well, and depending on where you are in Canada, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you're in Newfoundland, it's quite different. But Like some of the pronunciations. Bless their hearts. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, it depends on the ethnic background of the, the people who live there. And uh, in the East Coast, they, get, they got a lot of Scottish people and a lot of French people. Who lived in isolated communities. So in Newfoundland, you get people who've got this distinct Scottish twang, which is you, you kind of laugh your butt off laughing. It's <laughs> no, it's it's hysterical, but also, I mean, if there was ever a class indicator in Canada by language, it would be the Newfoundland accent, which is low on the ladder because pretty much everybody there is a fisherman. And so there's a stereotype of the, the dumb newfie, which is not the kindest, but it is what it is. I mean, there's the French accent too. We've got Quebec, so. Well, I, yeah, I'm not saying this makes it better, but like literally every culture and language group has, has a gradiated system. Mm-hmm. Um, of, oh, those are the, you know, the dumb poor farmers or the dumb poor fishermen or the dumb, you know, X, X, Y, Z. So yeah. 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 Human nature. Mm -hmm. And I, it's, it's fascinating. Apparently Canadian accents are actually preferred for foreign English teachers, at least in Asia, because it's the most readily comprehensible accent. Okay. Like they have difficulties with Australians, they have difficulties with Brits and with people with a strong Southern American twang. <laughs> well, yeah, you, I think, don't you enunciate more? I feel like you enunciate more. <laughs> yeah, I feel like it's more common here to pronounce more of the consonants. And yeah, I don't know. See, the thing is, Canada is this weird mix of American and British culture. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what do you call the thing that you park your car in? The garage. Okay. See, see, I have, I have Canadian people who say garage. Oh, that's pretty common too. Garage. Yeah, yeah. it depends. Um, the, uh, the major point of contention are words like aunt versus aunt. I say oh, well, aunt. I mean that, yeah, that's in America too. 
yeah yeah most people on the east coast i think say aunt mm-hmm. but i don't know yeah eh. well that's interesting I, I didn't i didn't know that about the canadian accent being more easily understood but i think it makes sense too yeah yeah i don't know depends too because we get a lot of immigrants here sure so you get different dialects and well tons of people have you know their accents because they're immigrants so you get a lot of indians you get a lot of chinese you get a lot of you know people from all over the place and that that factors into it too someone from toronto for example is very likely to have an indian accent because toronto is overwhelmingly i I believe it's majority non-white predominantly Asian, I would have to guess. So, mm. yeah. Um, yeah. Well, it's about an hour. Do we want to hit the art topic or do we want to wait on that? Uh, honestly, I'm not too, I'm not too good on the topic of art. So I'm willing to touch it if you want to. But... <laughs> sure. No, I was kind of intimidated when you said it. I was like, art, ooh, I'll, I'll do my well, best. <laughs> I've, I've got, I've got some skin in the game here, but not a lot. Okay. <laughs> I care I care about art, but I'm not that much of an artist. I I do some fine I don't know. I do some ink, I do some calligraphy and stuff like that, but I I'm not nearly as into it as some people from the Discord are. For example, uh Sally Joe, I think she's yeah. she's got a lot more into that than I'll ever be, and that's just I think it's a function of my my temperament. Honestly, I'm far more into words than I am into visual. I that's because I actually can't visualize things, so that makes it difficult. Oh my gosh, me neither. They're they're building a a road behind my house, and I also want to build a carport behind my house. And uh-huh. they they brought me out last week to help me visualize where I should build this carport. And it was like all men and me. So I don't know if it's that whole like spatial issue, male, female deal, but they'd be like, okay, the road's going to be here and you need to build your house here or your thing here. And I was like, wait, can you go back and stand where it's going to be? Like, I couldn't, they were like making, they were like making lines in their head. And I was like, I can't follow you. I don't know. It was was pretty funny. Yeah. So I'm with you on that. Um, I don't do any, any art. Well, if I was going to do something, it would be writing. Um, but I have no, no artistic other, I mean, in, in the drawing, sculpting, painting realms, but I don't know if you can see this behind me. Can you see that painting? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's another one on this wall. That was my, I felt very grown up when I bought those from the artist. I was like, I, I own art. And they were like, probably one of my best purchases I've made here. It was like, okay, I'm going to live here and things are going to be hard, but I'm going to, I'm going to buy some art that's beautiful. Mm-hmm. So Take it home. yeah, yeah. I haven't regretted it at all. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. No. Um, well, I don't know. I was thinking just about the philosophy of art and I can briefly go over this, but I'm not, I'm not too well versed in it, but the idea of beauty in art and how art ought to be getting at some kind of a universal beauty. That's my general philosophy of art, that it should be aiming for the transcendental. And um, I don't know, it's, it's one of the more underdeveloped facets of my philosophical ponderings. I don't know. Yeah, I um, I definitely feel like I grew in my appreciation living in France because they're much more um, like aesthetically, um, they value aesthetics more, I feel like. Mm-hmm. And um, and that's not even like a polite way to say there's, no, that's not even in a positive way, in a positive way. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I I grew in that as well while, while I was there. And I... I think that's a blessing. I, I feel like it kind of rounded me as a person. Um, 
because I didn't take any art in school. You could like take art or band and I chose band, you know, or something. It wasn't ever, um, I didn't have a lot of formal training in it, but just, so now, yeah, I still feel intimidated by it, but like I, I'm drawn to the things I'm drawn to and. Yeah, yeah. I think, Trust you know. your intuition, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. And I mean, intuition needs to be cultivated too. If people were left to their own intuition, I dread to see how, where music would go, but. <laughs> oh yeah, on the topic of music, cause I can't, I was trying to think of an example of, of that in here. I, there's just not a lot of art being done in the drawing again, like the drawing painting realm, like, yeah. Mm -hmm. But um, music, we, we laugh about this all the time, how the music that's made here does not appeal to us at all. Us being yeah. me and my teammate, other, other Westerners. Um, and how interesting that to their ears, it's appealing and it's good. And to my ears, it's not. And what's it like? Um, maybe I can like send you some, <laughs> send you some samples. Okay. It's just, uh, I can't even, it's kind of like, they're, it's kind of like they're trying to style it after like maybe American rap, but then there's also some, they like, they like a lot of reggae as well. So it's kind of a mix, but then a lot of it is just music and then they'll be talking. Um, okay. So, and to be fair, to be fair, which um, is, is partly, you know, maybe just like low studio. It's not like they're going and spending a lot of money at some fancy studio. It's, yeah, it's, 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 it's low budget stuff, but, um, but then, and it's not even just like African music that's this way. I mean, I feel the same way about like the, Chinese music I've listened to not not like pop stuff but yeah yeah and, and I'm not saying it's bad I'm just saying from a from my for my ears my my ethnocentric ears I don't I don't it's not pleasing to me and so how art can be yeah it is like you said your intuition is I think influenced by your culture so mm -hmm. it is interesting mm -hmm. well I don't know. I, I'm much more comfortable talking about music than I am about art because I've got more of a background in that. Yeah, I don't know. See, music is such a strange thing, too, if you think about it. Because it's been around for ages, you know? Every culture has its music. Mm -hmm. But it's also different. So, the... Uh, I don't know. I was I was trained in classical music. Like I I got a I've got certifications to be a teacher. I don't teach, but, uh, you know, so my understanding of music is very different from the average, I suppose. So again, training and culture would influence. So for example, my taste might be for Baroque music or jazz music. It's very different. Aren't the, yeah, normal. Yeah, I have a friend who's an ethnomusicologist and I saw someone just join the Discord who's training to be an ethnomusicologist and mm -hmm. it really is so, yeah, it really is so fascinating. <laughs> and the, the, the ways you can take that, the routes you can go and the way art can communicate things um, that maybe you wouldn't be able to communicate otherwise. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thinking about it too, this idea just popped in my head. It seems to me that the, the more focused a culture is on creating music for dance, the more simplistic the music tends to be in general. I'm not saying that's all of the, all of the time, but it tends to be focused on one melody and less on harmony and more on rhythm, you know? Mm -hmm. Okay, I, I can know. see where you're going there. That, I, that, that just kind of popped in my head. I could be totally wrong. <laughs> yeah, this would be a better conversation to have with not me, but uh, I can see, I can see where, you're, where, you're, where you're headed there, like beats. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Dutch, Dutch people don't dance. <laughs> yeah, we're so uh, bad. You should look it up sometime. Uh, <laughs> the dance. What? Sorry? No, I didn't rickroll you. <laughs> what on earth? <laughs> Sorry. Um, 
No, I didn't, Nora. I didn't. I feel like I'm this talking is your... to this lady. This is my sister. Hi. Hi, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Danae. I think that speaks to your character, Anamique, when you're their first go-to Guys, for someone go, who referred them. I'll tell you later. Can you just go? Sorry. That's okay. Oh, what were you saying? <laughs> no, I was I was joking. I said I feel like it's a testament of your character that you're the first person they thought of to have referred them. <laughs> yeah, no, I am a bit of a, a bit of a jokester. But, and I've done it before, too. We've got a sound system in our house that you can connect to via the Wi-Fi. Oh, uh, okay. And so I can access it by my phone. Now That's I feel funny. tempted. <laughs> oh, wicked, wicked. <laughs> uh, evil. Well, this has been good. Yeah, um, yeah. I'm glad both our internets mostly cooperated. Mostly. Yeah. And um, yeah, if you're good with it, I'll attempt to send it to Jeff. Yeah. Oh, I'm fine. All right. Well, good. Yeah. Well, it was nice talking to you. Yeah, you too. Yeah. You too. In, in yeah. person, well, in person, kind of on camera. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. There's something nice about face to face. It's true. And then, you know, well, not. Video is I know. face to face, but there's something I know about seeing mean. a person, the the expressions in their face, and you know. Yep, it's, it's true. Yeah. All right. Well, have a good rest of your weekend. Yeah, you too. Bye. All the best. Thank yeah. you. Thanks. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. You have a good one. Thanks. Bye. All right. Bye.